fantasy and some flights. Exploring the realms of beer, board games, books, and bourbon. Welcome to another episode of the Fantasy on Some Flights podcast. I'm Nelson. I'm Dalton. And today we are sitting here talking about the story arc or narrative structure, which is kind of exciting because it's our first like fantasy episode in a long time. Yeah, it's been a little while. We've taken <laughs> so, a bit of a break. <laughs> so so we're, we're pretty excited to get this one started. But before we do, let's uh, let's talk about what we're drinking. What's on your flight tonight, Dalton? Yeah, I'm actually, I've been really excited about this drink. So in our episode um, where we recorded... Charles, interviewing Charles from Game Masters, um, he had brought on a, a cold fashion or a cold and bold fashion, as he called it, which is sort of like a coffee take on a old fashioned. And, and so I was like, I was really excited to try it. So this is actually my first, my first mixed drink on the podcast. And so cold, bold fashioned, it's, I think every time I look for it, it comes up with Mr. Black coffee liqueur. So I don't know if it's something that they like came up with or advertised or popularized or whatever, but that's what I always saw. And that's actually what Charles like recommended. He's like, you have to like have it with the, uh, with Mr. Black. Um, and so I, I couldn't get access to that, but I did have a bottle of Kahlua and he said specifically not to do it with a bottle of Kahlua. <laughs> so I'm sorry, Charles. That's exactly what I did. Um, one job, really. Just what, one I just job. had the one job. <laughs> it's not <laughs> that hard. <laughs> yeah, I messed it up, but it's uh one part, or I guess actually ounce and a half of uh, the coffee liqueur, an ounce of rye or bourbon, and then bitters, and that's it. Um, and so I did ounce and a half of the Kahlua. I did an ounce of Templeton rye because um, my favorite like mm, mixing. It's yeah, so good. It's really good. My favorite mixing rye, and then and then bitters. I would say with Kahlua is like sickly sweet, right? Like it's a really sweet liqueur. Yeah. And so I think if I made it again, I would do more like one to one with the with if I was going to use Kahlua. I think Mr. Black is probably not as sweet, and it works out better. This is like a little bit too sweet for me um, but it's still really good i mean i it's coffee and like rye you know like what's not what's not to like so i'm, I'm really enjoying it so far i'm actually probably going to have to make a second one because i made one we'll pause at some point i'll grab <laughs> it so it's fine because <laughs> yeah, i've noticed that i'm actually tearing through it pretty quickly but it's good I, I very much suggest trying it but if you are like me and you cheap out and use kalua do one to one don't do like the ounce and a half because that's it's too much kalua too much yep too much what are you drinking so i uh surprise an ipa so <laughs> i'm always drinking an ipa if, always if that's not relevant or apparent at this point but i am drinking a ipa called space camper cosmic ipa it's by boulevard brewing company and it's, i like boulevard a lot they put out a good yeah, bunch of good stuff yeah no I, I i saw them i was like oh i think I, I i had had it before because when i logged it into the untapped thing i okay i was like hey like oh i've had this before i, I rated it highly yeah so it, it's an ipa but the way that they described it when they when i looked was like reviewing how they brewed it they they add a lot of hops at the end of the boil and during the fermentation to minimize the bitterness and make it more like juicy. Oh, that's so interesting. It's, it's a little bit more refreshing, which is nice because we just like finished playing 18 rounds of disc golf. Yeah, it's a little so hot like, today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like I'm already like a little dehydrated. So it doesn't it, like something that was really hoppy probably would not be in my like wheelhouse. Yeah. Or if it was like, you know, like a coffee mix drink that might be a little hard to hard to drink after our outdoors. No, no, that sounds amazing. Does it? Okay. <laughs> it's hard for me. <laughs> no. Yeah. I'm glad you have a refreshing IPA. Yeah. No, it, no, it's good. Yeah. So the ABV is around 5.9%. So it's not too heavy and then the yeah, IBUs is for a yeah it really is yeah as it's closer to like that session range right and then the uh the IBUs is about 50 so it's not bitter at all very cool the uh and so this is actually kind of interesting because like I feel like on the last like couple podcasts I've been trying to describe color which is not an easy thing to do like mm -hmm. describe color over a vocal medium yeah it's just not what this is made for so yeah. I looked it up I was like I wonder if there's like a way to like 
measure color in beer and turns out there is so oh nice. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go into that a little bit so it's called in america um it's called the standard reference method and it's a way to specify beer color okay and so what they do and i thought this was really cool is they it's calculated by taking the attenuation of light at 430 nanometers which is like a dark blue violet wavelength of okay. light for people who aren't optical engineers can you describe what the word attenuation means yes i was about to do that <laughs> okay cool <laughs> um through one centimeter of beer and so i thought that this was really cool because about 90 percent of my job deals with looking at attenuation of light okay like through a fiber optic cable so yeah. uh, attenuation basically is like the amount of light at the end in reference to the amount of light that you put in okay from like like brightness of it or like how much yes. is coming through okay, yeah cool. so it's like absorption almost it's gotcha not quite the same but it's an easy way to think about it okay and it's like a log logarithmic relationship there okay and so you multiply that attenuation that through one centimeter of beer by 12.7 to get the srm or the standard reference method okay and um there's a european standard for our european listeners that it's the exact same measurement but you're multiplying by 25 rather than 12.7 okay but we're going to talk about srm or the the english the American units, because we just have to do everything different. <laughs> um, so like a, a IPA in like the SRM is like around a six. So that light, whereas like a Pilsner is a two. Okay. And like an Imperial, so like a lower number would be a lighter. Yeah. Okay. Lower number would be lighter. And then like an Imperial Stout is like a 40. Okay. Yeah. And so they're, they're actually, if you go up and look and like look at SRM charts, there's like a color scale. And so I'll show you Dalton kind of it oh yeah it's just going from like yellow down through like tans and browns into black yep yeah and so i think from now on we'll we'll throw a link to this or something yeah in absolutely the, in the show notes but when i say oh it's around an srm of 13 you kind of know it's a double ipa it's like that dark like rich like brown color okay and so Very cool yeah so i thought that was kind of fun i was like and then i spent way too much time like reading through that one of the other interesting things is like one point of measurement doesn't really give you color information as some of my colleagues would tell you they're like we deal with color a lot like matching color is actually a very difficult thing to do yeah and this one point actually gives you about 92 percent of like the color spectrum or like the color information um but in order to get 100 percent, you need 81 different measurements oh my gosh and so <laughs> i think they, they kind of standardize on like oh this is gonna be fine yeah. <laughs> we'll just use one get 92 and it'll be close enough we're talking to people who are drinking beer <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah. not trying to get 100 percent accurate but yeah, so very cool. And so what what was this one? So this one is an SRM, the the American unit of around six, okay, which is equivalent to the European standard of like twelve. Okay. So yeah, it, which means that like, for viewers you can't really see through it. Yeah. But it but it looks refreshing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it does. And it's in that like kind of yellow brown era, not quite like the clear crisp yellow of a pilsner, but yeah, yeah. exactly. Very so, cool. Yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. I was like, ooh, I know these words. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Attenuation and stuff. You're going to make me like spell that out in the show notes. Yeah, I've spelled it a couple of times. So if you want to, I can show you how to spell it. Okay. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> so we have not talked about what has been on our minds in the fantasy realm in a long time. Yeah. So we got some meat to cover. We do. We yeah, we need distance. to get moving on that. So what have you been doing the last like two months of your life, Dalton? Yeah, so I have, I have several several books down. I'm going to just like breeze through because I think in our discussion, at least a couple of them will come up. Um, but there's, there's a couple that I wanted to give a report on. So in the last time we recorded a book episode, um, when we recorded Villains, I had talked, I had just started a book called Children of Time. And it, the concept was that a, uh, that a, and this is actually a very recent book. It came out in like the last three or four years. The concept is that they're trying, a, a group of scientists are trying to sort of like force the evolution of humans from a set of monkeys. Um, but the 
through a series of events, the, the experiment goes wrong. The monkeys don't end up on the planet, but the virus that they were going to use to genetically engineer the monkeys does end up on the planet. And it's sort of like the results of that. And I just wanted to give an update that that book was fantastic. I really, really, really enjoyed it. Okay. Yeah. And it was, um, it'll definitely come up later with some of the reasons why. I think at like a high level, it, it does a really good job of, it's, it's one of the only books I can think of immediately that feels like there is a bad guy and good guy, but there actually isn't. You know, like it, it's okay. very cloudy. It's basically just, it's one of those where it's like there are groups of people who are all acting in a way that's self-interested, um, but none of them are actually bad people. You know, none of them are like inherently evil in their like motivations. All of their motivations like inherently make sense. And in the, over the course of the story, you sort of find yourself identifying with all of the different characters at a different point where you're like, okay, I can see like this person could be the protagonist in a, in a, in a certain light. That's cool. I think that kind of makes for the most interesting characters. Yeah, for right? sure. Where, for sure. you know, like you have Superman who is always good, does no wrong. It's like, okay, cool. Like you kind of know what you're going to get. Yeah. But when you get, when you get into like that or like I think Game of Thrones does that really well mm. where it's like who's evil? I Yeah. I yeah, there're definitely like, like some you're like that person's definitely evil. They're more realistic. But they're more right? realistic it's, for it's sure. It's like I mean like other than us who are just pure of heart and never do anything wrong. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like I know other humans sometimes have faults. Yeah, for sure. So, for sure. I also really liked just from the audiobook perspective. It was another one that was told really well from an audiobook perspective, um, and it was done by um, a lady named Mel Hudson. And she, I just really, I just really enjoyed her like view, on, her take on like the voices of the characters and that sort of thing. Because some of them, because some of them are like animals that are being, you know, kind of like mutated by this virus, and those are like some of the characters. Um, some of the voices, I think, she had to kind of get a little creative on it. And I think she oh, did a really cool. good job. Yeah. So yeah, I did that. Um, I'm going to keep moving because we got a lot to cover today. <laughs> go for it. <laughs> I, rapid fire. Let's go. Yeah, rapid fire. I did that. Um, I read Wizard of Earthsea, which was recommended by one of my uh, aunts. And it's actually, it, it's an older book. It's, I can't remember now off the top of my head when the first one came. I feel like it might've been in like the sixties. It feels more like Lord of the Rings than other books that we read. Um, it has a very soft magic system, but it, it would feel like the best way I could describe it, given like our listener base and what we know, it would be somewhere if like Lord of the Rings met Name of the Wind, it would it would meet in there somewhere. So it's sort of a character like Kavoth that, you know, at the start of the story, you know that the main character ends up being one of the most powerful wizards like ever. Oh, cool. Um, what was that one? Sorry. It's called a it's called a well, actually, the the, the series is called Wizards of Earthsea. And Earthsea is, is one word. It's like the name of the nation. Oh, Earth, okay, Earthsea. Got it. okay. And then the first book is called A Wizard of Earthsea. And so I think she wrote that one <laughs> okay. and then decided, like, this is going to be a series. And then she, like, cool. you okay. know, well, there you um, go. then the rest of the books have different names. But it, it feels so you feel like you're following a character like Kavoth, but it's from when he's very, very young. And he, like, it's just kind of learning how to use magic and that sort of thing. It feels like Lord of the Rings, though, because it's not a, it's a very soft magic system. And so it sort of has to balance that, like, not, he can't fix all of his problems with magic thing, you know, because it's not like a well described system. And so it, it, it's almost uh, it's a good exercise in that really. It's like it's a really cool spot on the spectrum where because we've talked about how that's like that's really tough to do for a soft magic. It system. really is, yeah. We we said almost in that in the magic systems episode we said we couldn't really think of any examples where a uh, a protagonist the main character in the story used a soft magic system because it's like it feels sort of like Ducesma kind of like cheating out of you know the yeah. problems kind yeah. of thing. But this, this book does a really good job of it. His magic does create problems for him that he like then has to go like figure out ways to solve that may not involve magic. Um, it has like a naming sort of element, so it feels sort of like Name of the Wind in that way. And then the last thing I'll say about it, like I said, I really enjoyed it. I've, I've read the first two books now. I'm, I'm Overdrive, which is now kind of my new, you know, just borrowing from the library instead of paying for it on Audible. Didn't have the third one available yet, so I'm, I'm like on a hold for that. The first book, I really did not like the narrator. It was actually like kind of hmm. tough to listen to. Oh, okay. He did this like weird thing where he would sort of 
like he would like add in a stutter in weird places where he would be like I, I did, I did, I did, and then he would like go on with the sentence and it's like why is he doing that I don't that? think you should do that Yeah it was a weird I didn't like it Are you sure you're like CD wasn't skipping I'm not <laughs> through my through my I, you know through my phone yeah. just to skip yeah But then the second book that I listened to was narrated by Rob Inglis who did Lord of the Rings and so as soon as I turned on the second audiobook and his voice came on I was like yes <laughs> I was so happy I was like oh yeah I love this guy um, but I do keep expecting he's him so to like. Soothing. He's so soothing. Mm. I keep expecting him to start talking about like food, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about second breakfast? <laughs> I keep expecting to hear. But, and then uh, just briefly, the last two things I've read I read American Gods by Neil Gaiman. That audiobook that I got was done by a full cast, which was really cool. There was like, I do like those. Yeah. Like, Ender's yeah. Game had one, I think. Yeah. Where yeah. It was a full cast. And there was like six. Actually, Neil Gaiman um, did one of the characters, which was really cool. Oh, that's cool. kind of his. Yeah. And then the book that they recorded from was not actually the initial release of American Gods. It was like the author's cut of American Gods. Interesting. Yeah, because they cut some things to kind of shorten the story a little bit. And so he like added that. He said it's like a hundred something pages longer than like the original book or whatever. So that was just kind of cool. That was kind of like his version of it. And then there was at the beginning and at the end, he talked about American Gods. And so the concept of that one is that all of the gods from like, so from like Egyptian mythology, Norse mythology, Greek and Roman um, that gods are given power in, in the magic system by people believing in them. And so when people came to America and sort of immigrated, that the gods came with them. And so now the gods sort of exist in America, but their power is like failing because people are stopping believing in them. And huh. that's kind of like okay. the setting of the book. And it's it's, it's really cool. It's What's really that well done. period? It's uh, current. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so the main character is acting in current, but the gods are like sort of hidden from like normal society. And they're warring against the American gods of, of fast food and money and like <laughs> lust and like, that sort nice, of thing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so it's kind of it's kind of a cool concept. I really okay. liked it. Um, and again, I just really like the production of yeah. it as an audiobook. And the last one, which I'm currently reading, I'm only a couple chapters into, is Gunslinger um, from Stephen King, which is the first book of the Dark Tower series. So it's heard his, a lot of good things about that. I've heard a lot of good things about it. It's like Stephen King's like sort of fantasy opera type series that it's he's starting. a started. trilogy? I actually don't. I don't know. I don't know <laughs> if it's a trilogy, if it's more books. I don't know if he's still writing There are it. more books than one. I know there's more books yeah. than one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many there are. I was actually kind of interested to not look into it just when oh, I started. Okay. I yeah. just picked it up. And I'm not very far into it right now. It's kind of, it still feels, I'm like, yeah, th- if nobody told me, I would have. I would have known that this was a Stephen King book just on like just the, the way it's written. Yeah, the way it's written, he has a very specific style, and it also is like probably a bit dark of a fantasy. <laughs> you know, there's yeah. like horror elements that are kind of like playing in where it's like, oh, that's kind of creepy or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So, but so far, I'm, I'm enjoying it. But I'm also like antsy to get back to the Wizard of Earth Sea okay. series because I, I was really enjoying that. So there you go. That's that's what's been on my mind. That's <laughs> short lot. list. So yeah. no, that's not even a short list right there. That's mm. <laughs> well, it's been like I don't know eight twelve yeah, it's weeks been a since long we were time. yeah since we released a book episode. So which kind of makes me up. sad of how little I have read. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so I I've been diving really far into some of our you know our loved series. So um, one of the things that I've been doing is like I finished Clone Wars again because my wife and I were watching through it and again fantastic fantastic series and then we started watching through star wars rebels it's in year like five bby so like five years before new hope okay so it kind of talks about the the birth of the rebellion okay and so like you get to meet wedge and like just like random characters oh, and yeah, stuff cool. like that have like kind of started and so it's like right right now there's four seasons out i think there's plans on doing more okay but like uh it, it's before rogue one era gotcha so it kind of falls into that era or yeah. kind of addressing that gap yep yeah. addressing that gap and i have been like seriously really enjoying the clone wars to rogue one like story arc i just think like the movies are horrible right 
Like, I mean, <laughs> let's be honest, right? Revenge of the Sith wasn't too bad. But like yeah. Attack of the Clones is garbage. Yeah, it's pretty bad. <laughs> but the TV series are amazing. Cool. And like the story is fantastic, right? Yeah. Like I mean like it's a really cool story if you like if you got a synopsis of the story you're like, "Oh, that sounds really cool." Yeah. But like then you have to watch it. But anyways, and then so I read a book called Ahsoka, which so the like Anakin Skywalker's Padawan in a clone the Clone Wars TV show is called Ahsoka. Mm. Like it it kind of follows her about a year after the Clone Wars TV show ends. Gotcha. And so it you know it's kind of like you know she's on her own and like kind of all of this stuff she has um, in Rebels when she shows up she has like these white lightsabers. Okay. And so one of the big points in that book is how she got the white lightsabers, which is super cool. Yeah. And so um, I'm not gonna spoil anything from that book, but like. It was a really quick read. I mean, it was probably nine hours listening gotcha. to it. Gotcha. And so, but it was just like, it was kind of cool because it's like this character that like I love, right? I think Ahsoka's probably my second favorite character in Star Wars wow. behind Anakin. Why is that? I just really like how she's really strong. Mm-hmm. Um, like one of the things that Dave Fioni, the person who directed both Star Wars and, or Star Wars, the Clone Wars and Rebels said is that it's hard to utilize Ahsoka in scenes because when she shows up, fans know it's going to be okay. Oh, um, yeah. She's just that powerful. And he goes, it's very akin to Yoda. When Yoda okay. shows up, you're like, oh, this is fine. Yeah. And so, Situation's under control. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, like, she, she's very, like, but she's, like, a she is a rebel, right? Like, she she's on her own. She's, like, you know, doing her own thing. And she has her own morals. And, like, anyone that's, like, studying under Anakin probably is not going to be the best. <laughs> <laughs> not not <laughs> like, like the, a clear moral compass. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the rule following is kind of rough there. Um <laughs> But she's like very relatable. She she is a good person. She's always out to help people. Yeah. And it it almost mirrors how like if Anakin turned to the light. Okay. How how she would oh, how like, it would turn yeah. out. Um, yeah, what that I, would I like. really just like her as a character. I think yeah. Anakin's a more interesting character because he turns to the dark side. Yeah. And I think Anakin is my favorite character in uh, Star Wars, just because yeah. like his story is just really cool. For but sure. I, I read through that book, which was really cool. And then I've started, and I'm almost done with the Fellowship of the Rings. So I'm rereading through Lord of the Rings. Love it. Um, which so you talked about Rob Ingalls, and so I'm very yeah. familiar with his voice at this point. I'm yeah. like, driving to work and dozing off. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is soothing. <laughs> and yeah. so I do get to hear him describe a lot of food. So, <laughs> <laughs> food and flowers and Tom Bombadil. But oh, dude, the, the start of the Fellowship of the Ring is so weird. It's so weird. Like. I think it's Pippin gets eaten by a willow tree. It's like, yeah, yeah. Like, what is going on? Yeah. Like, I can, I, I don't know. And and like the first time I remember reading it, I'm like, why'd they cut all this from like the movies? And then you like get through the scenes and you're like, oh, I get it. Yeah, okay, I understand why Tom's not in this one. <laughs> what is going on? Yeah, no idea what's going on. But there's that scene where he's like playing with the One Ring, just like flipping yeah. it between his hands yeah. and like dancing. Or like when when Frodo puts it on to yeah. like kind of escape from his house, and yeah. like he like puts it on, goes invisible, and like. Tom's like, dude, the hell are you doing? Like, get back over here. He's like, t- completely just sees him. You're like, wait, what is going? On? Like, I just, I need like a offshoot of Tom. Like, maybe yeah. that's in the Selmarillion somewhere or something. <laughs> but right. Like, just like his origin story. His origin. Yeah, we got to do a little study in there. Yeah, but, but so yeah, no, I've I've been going through that. But it gets is, better. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, absolutely. So like, I'm past the formation of the Fellowship at this point. Mm. And you and you get to see it a little bit in the movies, but Gandalf is a savage. Like, <laughs> <laughs> dude, dude does not hold back at all. <laughs> But yeah, so I've I've been going through that. I'm kind of cool. making my way through Lightbringer still. Um, yeah, in the background. Yeah. yeah, I'm just having a hard time concentrating. And that book requires a lot of concentration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's hard. So it will get through it. I'm progressively making my way through it. So we will get to talk about it at some point. Awesome! Can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait. I literally cannot wait. So you have <laughs> to sorry, hurry. I'm up. so sorry. I don't We're know just gonna start spoiling stuff for you. Okay. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you don't get to this chapter. 
by the 31st, I'm going to tell you what happens. Yeah, I'm just going to drop. A, I'm just going to drop a meeting on your Google Calendar. <laughs> like, here's your deadline. <laughs> we are talking about this chapter in this book at this time, regardless of whether or not you've read it. <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay, that that would that would motivate me. I I am ve- I'm a very goal oriented person, so that, that would motivate me pretty much. And you're scared of consequences, so I am. I do not like. Uh, <laughs> Don't like bad things. Uh, ready to hop into icebreakers? Yeah, let's hear an icebreaker. Okay, so. Like what we've been doing is we've been going through like the previous icebreakers. Um, and so the last icebreaker that we asked or that we had on the podcast was kind of like what makes a good rule book or a bad rule book and some of the examples that you've seen. So I, I threw that out to the Instagram universe. And for the good rule books, I got a couple of responses. Some of them I said like at Amram Mark 16 said Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion, which I have you seen the new Gloomhaven? That yeah. Yeah. I've, seen, I've not like read it, in, but I've seen like about the rule book. Yeah. It's made to like bring you slowly into the world of Gloomhaven because Gloomhaven is a fairly complex game, so it, yeah. it like brings you into it. But also, the rule book is a book with the maps in it. So like when you play a scenario, you open the rule book and you play on the book. Oh, and that so is you don't really have cool. to like mess with the with yeah, the, tiles with the tiles or anything. Stuff. Yeah. That's cool. Very cool. And then at Potts McGee, we only got two responses. Like it, no one really cares about good rule books. Uh, at Potts McGee said any of them with a QR code that will take me to a video. So- nice. <laughs> that is extremely helpful. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And then I asked what were the le- worst rule books, and I got a lot more responses for that. Because <laughs> apparently, our people are more passionate about bad rule books. So, um, just highlighting a couple of them. At Good Old Max, uh, he has a really cute picture of his dog. For Adorable. His Insta- Love it. Instagram said Heroes of Normandy. Which I think was a game that got brought up when we were in college at some point. Someone yeah, I remember it. talking about it. Yeah, yeah, I just I'd never played it. But at Dub and Dub Games said Squire for Hire, never heard of it. A lot of these I haven't heard of probably because they don't make it very high or make oh it yeah, because they have bad rule books. Bad rule books. <laughs> at Matt O six two five said First Martians. At Your Board Gamers said the expansion to the Architects of West Kingdom. Um, have you played? No. Okay, it's like it's a worker placement. It's like number seventy eight on BGG. Like I've heard okay. great things about it, but so we'll need to try that out at some point. Yeah. Casper said Aftermath at Gamecasters, which is a great podcast. You should go check them out. Um, they said Visitor in Blackwood Grove. Yeah, I'm not um, familiar. They said that by a country mile, so it must be very bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at Gaming with Jammin', which I love that name, uh, said Agricola, and that is true. Uh, that's a rough rule book to get through. Yeah. Um, at D20 Woodworking said Mage Knight, which I thought was interesting because I thought that was a good rule book. Yeah, I thought that was pretty decent. But but we, we I think we liked it because it led you through like your the early first games. Scenario, yeah, yeah, and that helped a lot. And then I don't know if this one's personal, uh, not to us, but like if they've had some rough times with it. But at Venice of Italy said anything by Fantasy Flight. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they like that company very much. <laughs> so <laughs> I, w- I want to reserve judgment on a whole company you know, yeah. just for like my internal hopes that like we, we have a relationship with them one day, yeah. like we get to that point. But it's it's a fair assessment, I guess. <laughs> like, is Twilight Imperium that bad? The early ones, yeah. I think like the fourth one was it was pretty okay. Yeah, they, but they, they had a, they, had, they a, had to nail that one. They had to nail that one. <laughs> they they have a lot of trouble with like consistent terms. That was like the main thing where it's like, yeah, oh so my god, rough. like what is a round? What is a turn? Like that oh. and that sort of thing where it's like, come on, get get your shit together for this. Yeah, it's one of those responses where it's like, has someone hurt you? <laughs> <laughs> what what is what is wrong? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of rapid firing because we do got a we got a lot of content to cover. The icebreaker from this week, I just got it sent to me by my wife, and it's actually from my wife. My wife decided to send me oh, wow. uh, her icebreaker, and that is, what book would you want to be made into a movie or TV series with an unlimited budget? With an unlimited budget. That does help. Yeah. That helps significantly. Is there anything that comes to your head like immediately? Apparently not. Apparently <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I think the first thing that, like, without thinking about, like, my first gut reaction 
is the Pendragon series. Oh yes, yeah, and, yeah, and that's yeah, specifically yeah. because he was actually a like a screenwriter for like like he wrote oh, on TV. Yeah, he like wrote on TV shows, and basically he always wanted to write stories like the Pendragon series. But it came out like when we were like very young, and there wasn't the like uh, technology wasn't at the point where he could actually like Im- implement Pendragon into a TV series. Right. That's interesting because it, it does feel very TV series like. It does. Right? It feels like, episodic. It's a story. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's like ten books, and each you're like each one you're like I could see how this could be a season. Yep. Yeah. You know, like a oh, short season. Yeah. yeah. And so that's why he wrote Pendragon. He's like, this has to be this idea that I have. It has to be a book. It can't be a TV show. And so that's my first like, oh, I know that like if there was an infinite budget and perfect technology, like that that would make a fantastic TV show. It probably feel kind of like Stargate or. Yeah. Almost like Star Trek, not in like the, that is like super spacey, but in the like exploring different worlds kind of thing. Yep. You know, and so it would be really cool for each one of those to be like a mini arc or like a like five or six episodes or something like that. Yeah. If you did like like you you don't need twenty four episode seasons. No, because they're not real long. The books aren't real long. But yeah. You and like because it is a full, it's a complete set, right? A lot of right. these TV shows that are coming out now struggle with you know they catch up to where the author is and then they kind of forge their own path. Like <clears throat> you Game of Thrones. <clears throat> oh. Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> Still wanting Game of Thrones Brotherhood. Exactly. Amen. <laughs> And um, so I think that would be really cool because like just like if they had like the assurance that they weren't going to get canceled or something like that, they exactly. could, I think they could really pull that off. Yeah. Do like two books for a season or three books in a season and get through the 10 in a pretty, pretty reasonable amount of time. Yeah. So, yeah, that would definitely be my pick. So I know a lot of Netflix reps listen to our podcast. Yeah. And so they should pick that one up. <laughs> <laughs> and then just in the credits, be like, thank you, Fantasy and Some Flights podcast for the yeah. great idea. Yeah. Just. Totally I mean, novel. I'm sure well, no one's ever thought of that. 10%. 10%. Like, that seems that's fair, fair right? Yeah, like, 10 points. Yeah. <laughs> you can call our lawyers. <laughs> they exist. <laughs> yeah, we'll get you a number. Uh, <laughs> so I think probably something that hasn't been done before, like Aragon. Or oh, like, my God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you don't really need it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, like someone in our Discord said that, like, I think it was Mike, said that watching the Aragon movie turned him off from reading the series. Like that's it was bad. bad. That's real that's bad. bad. <laughs> you should feel ashamed. Yeah. <laughs> and also, Mike, you should read Aragon. <laughs> yeah, we're the calling you out directly now. The <laughs> yeah. Inheritance Cycle is a good series. Yeah, significantly better than the movies. Uh, but okay, so real answer. I'm jumping back between two of them. So, and they're both Sanderson, of course. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> the Stormlight Archives, I think would be really cool to see, mm-hmm. and you would need a lot of money to do that because you got these like crazy like spren things that are like spirits, yep. and it's just like it's it's just a lot that you would yep. need to video edit. It true. Uh, It'd be like the dragons, right? Where like yeah. the dragons are the direwolves in Game of Thrones where like they there were episodes where they just ran out of money. And yep. they were like we have to cut scenes with these things because they're too hard to animate. I could definitely see the magic system from Stormlight being that way. And so the other one would be Mistborn. And I yep. think I would rather see Mistborn. Okay. Um just cuz I I think Mistborn would be beautiful. B- Mistborn would be amazing. Done right, it would be so aesthetically pleasing. I think a lot of people are calling out that they really want to see an animated Mistborn series. Oh, that's a really great cool. idea. Yeah, yeah, like, like an adult really cool. animated series, I yeah. think that would be really cool. So I think my, my answer is Mistborn, but that's probably going to happen at some point, so probably Way of Kings. With okay. The, with the unlimited, or uh, Stormlight Archives, with the unlimited budget. Yeah, the I other danger is ahead. that the Stormlight Archives isn't finished. And Sanderson is a little slow there because they're so big. At least Mistborn's like a complete series. <laughs> so nobody can fuck it up. <laughs> I mean, like, but each one of them takes three seasons to get through. That's true. And he wants to write, uh, like, basically one more book. He's about to come out with the fourth book, and I think he plans five. He plan- Yeah, he plans ten. But he's doing the same thing with Mistborn. So that's right. Like five yeah. in the first like series. And yeah, the five first in, like, like kind of time arc. Yeah. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so he's almost done with this like set. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude is a machine. Dude, Dude is, is a machine. machine. 
So we did a face-off Friday, the Friday before we recorded this episode, and that was kind of talking about whether people prefer the audiobooks or prefer reading books. And so what, what's your response? I mean, I, I love... I love audiobooks. So we, we, I think we talked in maybe the book episode, like episode two, maybe maybe a different episode. There's a quote from Orson Scott Card where he talks about listening to an audiobook frees your mind to visualize because when you're yep. when you're reading a physical book, the limitation there is that your eyes are occupied, and so you don't have the brain space to like visualize what's going on in the book because your eyes are looking at something. Um, and so, I mean, I'm usually li- looking at I'm driving or like you know I'm just like yeah, zoning yeah. out entirely. <laughs> but it, I do like that part of audiobooks that like allow me to sort of make my own image of like what the scene is, is going on. The limitation though is that I do zone out and then I have to back things up, and that's a lot harder than like uh, just like rereading a paragraph. Yep. No, I I'm completely on board with you i'm yeah. i'm audio huge surprise yeah <laughs> but instagram is completely not with us here uh so 78 wow. of the people said they prefer reading books to audiobooks wow so it was a 78 22 split which is that's surprisingly large i'm not surprised that physical books won i'm not surprised by that i'm surprised that the the delta is so big yeah 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 i, I found that interesting so actually one of our uh friends from instagram reached out to us his name's jeremy his instagram handle is board game underscore jer um asked us he was like oh, you know i kind of want to hear you guys talk about this if mm. there's a correlation between audiobooks and who who likes audiobooks and who likes watching rule videos for board games rather than you know just oh, reading and so that's interesting yeah so um i i actually put that back out the day after so like, okay. do you prefer watching rule videos or do you prefer reading the rule book so what's your answer on that one Oh, I definitely prefer a rule like video. I, I really prefer. I mean, I I will always end up reading the rule book because I need to know like where to reference stuff and stuff like that. But usually, I'll do them side by side. Like I'll, I'll watch the video and read the rule book at the same time. Yep, same here. And Instagram actually agreed with us. They prefer the videos. So sixty six percent of people said videos. Thirty four percent said reading the rule books. But I got so many people messaging me saying like both or why not both or let's. I do both of them, yeah. which is kind of what I what, what you just said. Yeah, what we said. Yeah, so, we kind of cheat the question. Jeremy, I don't necessarily think that there is a correlation. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's a negative one. But Yeah. Yeah, um, we're going to have to get some, like, you know, some people who have, like, studied how people learn or something yeah. like that to, like, get in a way on this. Because I think we're a little out of our league of why there's I wonder if it's a more of a exist. visual thing, right? Like, yeah. if you had someone, I think I would prefer reading a rule book than having a rule book read to me. <laughs> that's true yeah if it was so, just a video that was a blank screen and someone just described <laughs> reading the rule book to you that would be painful i would yeah, never do that I would not like that yeah <laughs> 3a no please don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's like my procedures at work i don't want to read these i don't want to read it <laughs> yeah awesome yep okay so before we get into our um topic for tonight i just wanted to talk a little bit about kind of like what's coming up next for fantasy and some flights uh, specifically like the book episodes right the fantasy episodes right now we are this will be we're going to talk about um the story arc we're going to talk about kind of story building and, and narrative and, and then after this episode we're going to start into what we like kind of book analyses or maybe series analyses if, they, if they're known well enough and so we're thinking you know that's why we've been doing these these kind of ex- explorations on like what a hero is um what uh what narrative styles are what magic systems are so we can kind of use those terms and they're familiar to you as we go into the analyses of books and series later on um so we've been thinking this is kind of maybe one of our last ones before we start that we're thinking next we're going to do uh lord of the rings and so this would be a good time over the next four weeks because we're going to do a, a, ga- a board game episode in between now and the next time we do a book episode and so the next kind of analysis will be lord of the rings um, and so that'll give you some time to do like Nelson's doing if you want to like do a quick read through of the books um, or maybe just even rewatching the movies might be a good enough place to start. 
Um, cause we're not going to do like each book individually. We're just going to kind of talk about the series and where it falls, like in these in relative to all these different terms that we've defined. And then also kind of like why it works, what are some of the, you know, the big trends that it sets, some of the big, um, successes that it has and, and where it falls short in different areas and that sort of thing, which probably would be hard to find for Lord of the Rings. I mean, it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of the golden standard. Maybe um, like the first quarter of fellowship. Right, kind of the first quarter of fellowship. <laughs> um, it has like a really long resolution. So maybe we can be critical yeah. of that. Um, but anyway, yeah, we just wanted to kind of like preface before we get into like this discussion of story arcs. Like this is why we've been doing this. This is kind of what the next step looks like. Um, so over the next four weeks, refresh yourself on Lord of the Rings um, because that'll be the next fantasy episode that comes out. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm really looking. It'll be a lot of fun. So we're talking about narrative structure, like the story arc. Yeah, the story um, arc today. You want to give us a brief overview of what the story arc is? Yeah, absolutely. And this is one that, as I pre- the more I prepared for this episode, the more excited I got. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When we first like describe, when we first talked about doing this, I was like, I don't know how that's going to become interesting. But then as we started to dive into it, it was like, this is actually there's a lot of there's a lot to cover here. There's a lot of content. There's a lot of depth. There's a lot of kind of really interesting things. So and I'm we were talking about it earlier. It's like there's a lot that people have thought about and researched and yeah. gone into this. I was Absolutely. like, wow, like I did not prepare. Yeah. Like, I did people not like study, study this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it's insane. It's like, I was really impressed with how much and how many different ways and how it utilizes and how people have like, you know, related this to this uh, fantasy novel or, you know, this Romeo and Juliet, like right. what, what story arc does that follow? I, right. like, I, I prepared a lot more for this episode than I thought I was going to. Right. Which I thought it was really cool. Absolutely. It's similar to like narrative styles in that every book has it. Right? Yeah. 100% yeah. of every book out there has like something along this line. Yep. Even like documentaries and stuff in some way, like you can, you can say like they have this, right? They, yeah, have, they have a structure to them. Um, and so it's, when we talk about the story arc, it's the process by which like change happens in the story. That was one of the best ways that I kind of like um, that I kind of like thought about it or that, that it was described to me. I, I, another way was that without a story arc, the story is just a list of events. It's just like things happening. But this is the part, this is the part where you're saying, okay, things are changing, right? There's, there's a change of countries. There's a change of characters. There's a, there's a change of, there's something going on. Yeah. There's stuff going right? on. It's, right? it's a story, right? It's a story. And so I like one of the things that I kind of, that just got brought to my head while you were saying that was when I was a kid and I was like, I was kind of like thinking, I was like, when I'm reading all of these books, I'm reading Harry Potter, I'm reading, you know, um, all this, and this is like, you know, me as a kid, right? So don't right. hold it against me. But I was <laughs> like, why is it that every book something exciting is happening? <laughs> it's like... <laughs> That's a really good question. Yeah, exciting things don't just happen. It's like, well, yeah. because... When exciting things aren't happening, it's not interesting to read. Like, that's what the stories are told about. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's <laughs> a good point. when things happen. Yeah. And so I was just like, but like... Now, something happens are, every year for Harry. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Harry's a little different. Yeah. But like, you know, it's like Frodo sat around for 50 years before he embarked on his journey. Right? Like... Yeah. Like, yeah. Why didn't... Absolutely. Why, like, why weren't... Wasn't the book... And I like... Like, this was back when I was like, oh, like... Why, why isn't the book written about him? Or, like, why is something always happening to the main characters? Like, because it's interesting, right? Like, yeah. I don't want to read that. And, like, I realized that. I was like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot that of sense. That makes a lot <laughs> of sense, yeah. And we're also, we're specifically not talking about character arcs today. I think that's a really important distinction. So a character arc would be similar to a story arc, right? But it's it's about the specific character. And the, the important distinction here is that in a story, characters can be at different points in their arc, right? Yeah. Like yeah, Gandalf in... Lord of the Rings is kind of towards the end of his arc. Yeah. Right? And then he gets an arc, like, spoiler <laughs> alert, <laughs> right? He, he fights the Balrog and some things happen in his character dies arc. dies his hair or something, yeah. He dies his hair, yeah, he gets a whole new, he glows up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the best glow up of, uh, I don't know the years in Lord of the Rings, but it's like 4,400 something. Yeah. Um, 
But like, I mean, it can't a character a story arc can follow the character arc of the main character. I would say that that's maybe common that it's kind of coming alongside yeah. of it, but it's not inherently the same thing. Um, so yeah, the arc is kind of the up and down of the story. Uh, one of the interesting things that I, in preparation that I came along here is that it can kind of be measured by the challenge, the level of challenge that is presented to the character. So you can think of it in terms of uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which this was the first time that I think I was kind of exposed to it in this context. When I saw the hierarchy, I was like, oh, I've seen that before in like a class somewhere, right? And so maybe you need people- food. Yeah, you need food, right? <laughs> and so that was the cool. Th- that's the cool thing. So that's that's the physiological need. That's the the lowest level, right? We need food, water, shelter, and there are books that cover the challenges that are presented to a character related to that. The Martian, right? What about Second Breakfast? What about Second Breakfast? <laughs> <laughs> Lord of the Rings. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Is it? But I mean, and also characters can go through different ones. You know, like yeah. the Hobbits only care about physiological needs, for instance. <laughs> but no, Martian is really interesting. Yeah, like the potatoes. Exactly. Yeah, the potatoes is like that is the challenge, right? The the challenge is just strict survival. He needs like heat, shelter, blah blah blah. And so you can follow the story arc in the up and down between how safe Mark Watney is, right, versus how unsafe he is relative to like that specific challenge. And so at the beginning he's very unsafe, yeah. right? And um, then it goes yeah. through it goes through a climax where it's like he gets more safe and unsafe, more safe and unsafe. And there's a point where you're like, okay, in the end where it's like is he going to survive? That's the main question. Yeah, right? and I think we'll talk about this a little bit more in the rising action section of this podcast but typically the challenges get harder and harder yes um so like it it doesn't like if you fight the balrog and then like you have to worry about food that's not an interesting story arc right true true (laughs) true right like okay like you obviously can do this like we can can kind of assume that like you're making potatoes cool let's focus on the next problem right Um, right yeah they like Jarrah, we're talking a lot about Lord of the Rings, but Jarrah introduces, like, <laughs> yeah, introduces Letmus bread specifically so that the characters don't deal with f- physiological needs. Oh, that's cool. I didn't, I never thought about that. Yeah, yeah. So that they don't have to, so he doesn't have to struggle with that as they're going on this like massive journey, right? It's like food, water, shelter, check. They're good. It's kind of like the joke that Harry Potter never takes like yeah. a dump or like showers at all. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. in, you know, Goblet of Fire, he's like, oh, this is what a bath looks like. like <laughs> is this your first time, Harry? <laughs> oh, that's not good. So anyway, just real quick, the hierarchy goes like physiological needs and then like safety needs. And so this would be like personal security, right? For maybe from like external forces. So not just survival, but safety. After that would be love and belonging. And so there are obviously a lot of books written about that and that like yeah. someone is inherently, they can eat. They're like inherently safe, but it's a love story, right? That's the next thing they're looking for. After that, highest level would be esteem. So accomplishment, right? Someone is, they have all of those things, but they're looking to like do something with their life kind of thing. Um, and then the last one would be self-actualization. And that's a big topic for especially for characters where which is the idea that i am becoming the best that i can be i'm, I'm sort of i'm actualizing all of my talents into something that is uh powerful and, and useful and valuable right and so and so you can look at different character arcs kind of viewing them through this lens of like what what is going on in the story what is the main challenge and how safe are they how close are they to love versus how far away right and, and things like that and once you do that it sort of normalizes all stories so that, that you can kind of view them in the same growth and, and fall Interesting. So you said growth and fall. So what are like the main like sections of every story? I think this is, you know, going back to third grade English class, but like, let's spell that out explicitly. Let's spell it out. Yeah. So we start with exposition. Um, Exposition would be the beginning. It would be the introduction. It um, oftentimes it will show routine. It will show the normal life. Right. And exposition will end with some sort of like uh, like a trigger event. Right. Or or I've seen it referred to as uh, inciting incident. Right. And there's throughout literature, there would be many examples of this. You could say you're a wizard. Harry is the inciting incident. Yep. Right. Everything for it shows Harry what his normal life looks like. They're celebrating his birthday, a.k.a. not celebrating his birthday. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then all of a sudden Hagrid shows up and everything changes. That's yep. the inciting incident. After that, we are out of exposition. Yep. 
and we're into what we call the rising action. Rising action, I would say for most part, for a lot of things at least that we read, feels like maybe 70%. Yeah, it's the meat of the story. It's the meat of the story. Right. It's where quest happens, growth happens, obstacles challenges. are put, challenges. Obstacles are put in front of the heroes and, and the characters. There's conflict and they have to, and there's a lot of learning going on. That's where that's where kind of the character goes from where they started until where they're going to be and where you want to see them. And where they're going is the climax of the story, like the, mm. the big thing, right? Yeah. And so, <laughs> and so like, you know, this yeah. is the turning point. This is the epic scene. This is the thing that you want. Yeah, and, like, this is blowing you're, up the Death Star. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're reading the book for this scene, mm -hmm. right? So everything leading up to, you know, the big blowing up the Death Star, right? Destroying the ring, like yes. dropping it into Mountain Tomb. Yep. And so like all of these are the climax scenes. Mm -hmm. But like that probably comes 80% into the novel. It feels or like it, the yeah. the story. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, typically. Yeah, uh, there are some story structures that you know put that f you know closer to the middle, but like mm -hmm. I think everything that we personally enjoy that'd be the standard. Yeah. That's the standard is eighty percent or so. Eighty into to the ninety, novel. yeah. The cl the far the closer the climax is to the end of the story, the more you have a cliffhanger. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, you know, because like what happened. Yeah, exactly. What happens after? And <laughs> so the, is, what happens after yeah. would be what we call the falling action, right? And so that's kind of everything settling. And you should see you should see the consequences of all the choices and the climax that happened earlier. You should see that sort of played out. It shouldn't be implied. Sometimes it can be, but oftentimes just showing what happens. Resolution is kind of a, it's like a similar concept. Some people break them up, but for our discussion, we're just saying falling action resolution. That's the same thing. Um, sort of the conclusion of the story. It should highlight how characters are different from the beginning of the story. This is kind of where you get that resolution of like oh this is where they started they acted a certain way in the climax or, or or the choices that they had along the way and now i get to see their growth kind of like finalized in the falling action and how that kind of spells out so let's run through a little bit of those and just kind of see flesh them out a little bit more so yeah, like the absolutely. exposition the introduction yeah let's start there we'll, we'll, we'll it's a standardize start. it's yeah. a start <laughs> ah, i got it uh, <laughs> so like this is kind of like where a lot of the world building i think kind of you know you're laying the yeah. groundwork there's typically not a lot of going, not a lot going on. There's not a lot of conflict here. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, you're relaxed. Typically your main characters are, you know, hanging out. Like one of the examples that I was thinking of is like Bobby Pendragon. Like yeah. the, the, the call to action or the inciting incident there is like, Hey Bobby, someone needs your help. Um, when right. his uncle like comes to his house, Bobby Pendragon is this high school kid where he wants to go play his basketball game. Right. Yeah. It's like, Hey, someone needs your help. And he, he answers that call. But like before that, like I, there are books out there that are about basketball. Right. Mm -hmm. But like, mm -hmm. that's not the stuff that we're talking about right now. And then like, you know, series of increasing events, like, Hey, this is a lot more important than a basketball game. And so uncle press shows up at Bobby's house and says, Hey, someone needs your help. We need you. Mm -hmm. And this is way more important than a basketball game. He calls that out. He's like, dude, Bobby's like, yeah, but I got a game to go to. He's like, no, you don't like this is more <laughs> important than that. This time is of the essence. That's the call to action. Yeah. And so one of the other things in the exposition that you kind of need is you need to relate emotionally to the character. Mm. And so like from the Bobby Pendragon, like you can relate to Bobby Pendragon. He's a normal kid. He has this love interest. Like, you know, his crush shows up at his house and he finally gets to kiss her. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so you, you relate, you quickly relate to the protagonist or you have a reason to care about the protagonist. Because if you don't, you're not going to read the rest of the book, right? If, yeah. if, if the book is about some guy that you don't care about, you're going to put the book down, right? Right. And so there, right. if there's not an emotional connection to Mart Wachney, like I right. want this dude to survive because he's awesome. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's why the book starts out with "I am so fucked." Like, yeah, because exactly. you're like, "Oh, okay, I'm interested." Oh, yeah. <laughs> One oh, sentence ooh, in, I want him to live. Like, yeah. Right? Yeah. So. He's funny, and, and I think I don't I don't know, but I I feel like personally, if I was if I was an author, this is probably the section I would struggle with the most i think it must be so hard to do you see a, because you're right you have to like grab interest that's another thing right because unless the book is recommended to you i'm not going to make it past the first couple pages unless i'm hooked right and you'll see some people will include like a hook uh, game of thrones has one right in the very first first book 
a Game of Thrones, right? Where like there's this scene where White Walkers like kill this dude. Yep. Right, and it turns out that he's not a main character. Right, none <laughs> of them are main characters, um, but it gives you this implication of like, oh, there's like some dark force at work, right? And so that's like, that's the hook. That's like action that's like put right at the front. Ender's Game has like maybe a little bit of that because you have like this discussion that's going on between like two unnamed characters. Um, another one would be uh, when I was thinking about it, Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones oh, has yeah. a really good impl- in, like version of this because. Um, you see like Indy like going through this like traps right and you're like whoa what's going on and like and there's like boulders and there's like snakes and you're like whoa this is like really cool but then the it settles back and it shows you his routine and he settles back into his professor life right and it's yeah, just to that scene. that's a good point yeah and it's like oh this is who he is this is the normal right the story is actually going to start from here but we just included this like first hook to kind of make it interesting <laughs> yeah, yeah keep watching you'll yeah see keep more watching you'll see more of this yeah we're not just going to start with the college professor scene because that would suck <laughs> yeah and so after that inciting incident if we Without, we're not going to spoil anything for Pendragon at this point. You know, after Bobby, we need your help. He he travels off to a a, a new world, Dinderon, where right. he's going to go help someone. Mm-hmm. And so this is the start of the rising action because um, I think this is probably where we'll stop spoil or like stop saying things like all of this happens in the first like chapter or two, right? So we're yes, like, yes. Th- this is our hook for you to read Pendragon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, you absolutely but should. It's a series of conflicting or a series of conflicts that get progressively harder. And that actually occurs over the entire 10 book series, right? Mm -hmm. Where Dinderon is a lot easier for Bobby, like looking back when you're in book seven. Yeah. Right. That would be a lot easier for him then because you have to have tension and you have to create that tension as an author, or you need the book to create that tension for as a reader to make you feel invested and to keep reading. Cause like if, like we said, like, right, if you fight the Balrog and then you're worried about food, it's like that's not necessarily that interesting. Like, yeah. if, you're, if you're dealing with a series of, like, declining intensity events, then who cares, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Right, so, like, Harry Potter occasionally struggles with that. I, I, I agree. I, Where, I, like, I sometimes so. in the book series, she's, like, trying to – and it's because, like, story arcs have a fractal design, right? Where there, there's this overall story arc going on of, like, Harry growing enough to, like, beat Voldemort, right? So, like, that's going on. But then there's also, that's broken into seven books, and each book has a story arc, right? So it's growing for Harry to accomplish, like, something. But then within that, there's these conflicts, and each conflict has, like, a little mini story arc, right? So there's fractal design, whereas you get smaller, it, it kind of looks the same. But that leads you to where he's, like, dealing with these, like, tiny little problems, and you're like, yeah, but Harry, like, you just did this other thing in this previous book, right? Like, why are you worried about this? Yeah, Expelliarmus <laughs> can take care of this. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> just Expelliarmus your problems away, man. Like, they're going to pass you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. They don't want to deal with you another year. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> they're running out of dark arts teachers. Like, they have to get rid of you. Ah, rip to my boys. <laughs> rip to my boys, the dark arts teachers. Yeah. So I wanted to give some other examples of like books that I thought just did rising action really well, because again, this is really like the meat of the story. This is kind of where it's all happening, right? I, I wanted, I, we've talked a lot about The Martian. I think that one does an excellent job because I think basically it's about survival. And so inherently that's like kind of simple, but the problems that he is tackling are more and more complicated because as, as his, his sort of uh, mentality is like, what do I have to deal with right now? Right. And so like the immediate thing is like, okay, water, right. Then like, then food. And he's like, how am I going to make it to this day? And then he's like, how am I going to like move around? How am I going to, and so his problems start from like the very, very, very basics to getting more and more complicated. And as he deals with more complicated problems, he has to come up with more intricate solutions. Right. But they're all maintaining like feasibility, you know, so you kind of feel this like growth through the story where all of his conflicts are kind of like leading you up to the climax in a way that like really makes sense. And so I think that one does it like very well. The other one I want to talk about was Children of Time, which I talked about at the start of the um, in the in the What's on Your Mind section of the of this podcast, um, and and the, so the reason I think this one does it extremely well 
is there's there's kind of two storylines going on at the same time. One is what's happening on the planet, and one is what's happening on sort of like an arc ship, like a survival ship for humanity. And so there's these big time jumps going on because the humans are traveling at like near light speed. And so they kind of like go to sleep and wake up and like a long time has passed. And so it'll show you in these different like parts of the book, like what has happened on the planet in the meantime and what has happened to the humans in the meantime. And because of that, the, the animals on the planet are consistently evolving, right? So they're also getting into more complicated, like they're starting with like physiological needs how are we going to like get food as a community then they're moving on to like safety needs how are we going to protect ourselves from other species that are evolving right and then they're moving into more complicated like societal type problems um and so it kind of has this like growth through the story that makes just like a bunch of sense um and, and is a very natural flow while the humans are dealing with kind of a similar they're dealing with more of like a monotone problem of like where are we going and how are we going to like survive right but it's, it's showing them kind of like moving from point to point through the galaxy so that they kind of like go to sleep and then wake back up. And so that kind of like growth of like the power growth of both sides of the story, I think just as for a rising action makes a lot of sense. Cause you wake up and there's this like small little story that you kind of follow and they go to sleep again and you have a time skip. Oh, interesting. That's true. <laughs> Did you have any that you wanted to bring up? Oh, uh, so yeah. I mean like, I think we talked about a couple of good examples. I, I would, I want to bring up one that I think struggles with this and I sure. think that would be the expeditionary force. Oh um, yeah. That's a good one. Where like, I mean, we're in book, 27 i i don't know <laughs> we're in book like 12 I think. okay so i want to preface this with this is a fantastic series i love this series and i really like this but i just think that every single book it's almost getting to the point where either it's not increasing in complexity or challenges because like you have this all-powerful ai skippy that can do anything craig allenson has done a good job with that with having an all-powerful being and challenging him in different ways because you know he has his human compatriot that he needs to protect. Uh, but basically the tension comes in from how Skippy is going to protect his humans. Right. Yes, it, yeah. And that's how he kind of, kind of calls them. It's a hilarious book, right? It's, yeah. He's it's like my monkeys. Yeah. Yeah. His monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it just, it almost feels repetitive um, at this point. So like, like there, I, we joked, like, I think there are probably six, seven books out at this point. No, I was serious. I think we're on book like 12. Oh, Okay. We have to. Well, it might be ten. We have to look. It's it's pretty far <laughs> it's, though. It's There's a, a lot, lot of books out, and it just feels like, like we've gotten to the point in like book six where you cannot increase the stakes anymore, and yeah. like I feel like true. We almost missed that curve with uh, expeditionary force. Yeah, where um, he's like trying to continue growing, and it's sort of like where are we going? Like what's the climax? Yeah, you know. Yeah. It, all the books are not out, so we haven't seen that yet. True. And so maybe, but like, it almost feels like one of those, like, it almost feels like Scrubs. They should not have done the ninth season. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like it, it, it like they, they hit the story arc perfectly or, you know, in the office, like it just, like they just kept going and it's yeah. like the story arc is an arc and it has a beginning and an end. Yeah. Uh, and it makes us wonder instance. like, does he actually know where the end is yeah. or is he just kind of writing books? Cause it's like, it is a fun universe and they're fun characters. Yeah. So it's fun to read. Oh, but well, I'll read them. Yeah. I'll <laughs> read them. But like critically, it's not, I wouldn't say it's critically acclaimed or something like that. Right. The reason it's that super I, entertaining though. Yeah. The reason I enjoy expeditionary force is not the same reason I enjoy game of Thrones. True. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I read expeditionary force to laugh. Yeah. Right. It, Which I do. I laugh. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I'm the crazy person at work. Yep. Uh, <laughs> 
but yeah, so that, that was just the kind of one that I wanted to bring up. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. So the rising action kind of like we think of this as kind of like a, a lopsided pyramid typically, right? So mm-hmm. if you think of like the story arc, I think a lot of people have probably seen this graph where it's like it's, it's a it's an obtuse triangle right? Uh, <laughs> where like you you have rising action, which is like an upward sloping line, the mm-hmm. climax and the falling action. So the rising action ends with the climax, which is like what we said before, kind of like the thing that you're there to see. Yeah. Um, blowing up the Death Star, um, right. blowing up the second Death Star, blowing <laughs> up the third Death Star, like th- those kind of <laughs> Blowing up the many, many ships that are collectively one Death Star. <laughs> exactly. <yeah. laughs> Sometimes authors or people like to repeat stories that they know are tried and true. Anyways. <laughs> and so um, typically the rising action, like the, the pyramid ends, um, we, we see the climax. So like the, the, the last challenge that the, the story goes through is the climax, the biggest challenge that's going to alter everything. Yep. Right. So it, it's the turning point for the characters, it's the turning point for the world. Pendragon reference. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, like this is where we see the badassery takes place. Like yes. if you like we talked about it in the heroes journey or the, the heroes episode where like um, the heroes that we like build up. Yeah. And like they're building up to something. Right. right? And we want to see them go off. It's like we want to see the return on that investment. Right? right. Right. Like I think without spoiling anything, like I think the climax of the Mistborn series is epic right oh i think you it's phenomenal to see vin go insane i had that my like on my list of potentially like some of the best climax moments. me too <laughs> like mistborn book three i think is phenomenal one of the funny things is i had mistborn book one as one of my probably could have improved in, in a climax yeah yeah where it's yeah. it's good it's not it's not bad but i also just like i have this really high standard for sanderson <laughs> you know yeah because yeah, he, yeah, that he sets true. for himself like he, he very much follows through but the the climax in book one actually makes a lot more sense in the like the later books but it's in the first book maybe a little bit cloudy or confusing and there's maybe not the fight that you were expecting and that's also maybe not a bad thing you know that it's like it's not straightforward but the fact that it deviates just a little bit has some room for improvement i guess and I would say that the climax doesn't always have to be some badass moment, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not always blowing up the Death Star. Like, an Empire, it's when Luke says, no, I'm not going to join you, right? To right. Vader, right? Yeah. Vader's like, join me and we can rule the galaxy. And Luke's like, nah, brah. Like, yeah. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and so, like, not um, which still is really an epic hard pass. cinematic. <laughs> 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 I don't think so, man. But, but, I mean, it's an epic cinematic moment. But That's it's not no like. no for me, dog. <laughs> All right, sorry, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can end it on that. No, that, that makes sense. Yeah, I think, I think everyone... so. Thank you guys for listening. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think the other one that comes to mind for me because I just read uh, Wizard of Earthsea that has that has one that is, I I think, I don't how do I do this without spoiling? It has it has a really good ending. It is not the ending I was expecting, but it's an ending that makes really good sense and it's super satisfying. But that's like I think the best kind of climax, right? Where you like walk in, you're like. That's not what I saw coming. Ender's Game, right? You're like that. Mm-mm, not what I thought the climax was going to be, but it like totally, it totally works. So I want to plug something that you have not seen um, okay. at this point. And so Star Wars Rebels. So Star Wars Rebels get shit on a lot. Like people apparently for whatever, and it's not as good as Clone Wars. I will say that. Okay. But and I think a lot of people view Star Wars Rebels in the through the lens of Clone Wars. It's like, hey, it should be as good as Clone Wars, and it's not. Mm, okay. Uh, it is really good though. Okay. I do sort really of like Korra like, in that way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it, yeah, exactly. So, Legend of Korra. That was an Avatar yeah. reference. Avatar: <laughs> The Last Airbender. For if no one caught that. And I think one of the main things that 
Rebels is struggles with is it's not necessarily characters that you know and love. Okay. Um, right. So Clone Wars follows Anakin, Obi Wan, and Ahsoka. Uh, Rebels okay. follows random people. Gotcha. However, kind of like Rogue One in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's like, hey, all these people are going to die, and you know that going in. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> the climax in season two of Rebels is one of the best climaxes I've ever seen in my life. Wow. It's a, in like, I don't necessarily know if we can call it a climax because there's no resolution necessarily because it is in the middle of a TV series. Okay. But like the climax of that, of that season, which is um, episode 21 and 22, which is Phantom Apprentice. Okay. Ooh, I like that name. I get that chills. name gives me potential. Yeah, I get chills, and you have it. You have to watch Clone Wars before you watch Rebels. Oh man! And like, now I just want to watch Rebels, and I can't. <laughs> but, but it won't be as good if you don't watch Clone Wars. All right, all right. And fine. so I will say I that you. if you have seen Rebels, you know what I'm talking about. That shit is insane. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I'm still like thinking about it, and we're like, oh, oh, it's so good. I just like like we have gone back and just watched those episodes. Yeah. Um, I would really want to. Like throw a spoiler tag here and talk about it if I had seen it, so we could describe it. Yeah. But I don't want you to spoil it for me, so we can't. So I'm on I'm on your side with this one, listeners. Uh, after the climax, do you have anything more you want to talk about with the climax? It's hard to talk about climaxes without spoiling. without spoiling. <laughs> yeah, I know. I no, I think I had the only other good one that I had that I really liked was Ready Player One. I thought that one came together yeah. very very nicely. Oh. That was one where like they were. It was sort of one of those books where it spun a web. You know, and there was like lots of things going on and they all came together and you like knew there was going to be a final fight. It was always, it was a book where you always knew there was going to be a final fight somewhere, but it wasn't the way you thought it was going to happen. And it wasn't between necessarily the parties that you thought it was going to be between with. And, and then the like after that, I think it, it was almost like the final fight felt like the climax, but it wasn't, it was like the scene after the final fight that was the climax. And then like falling action from there was really, really good. So that, that was when I just really liked where that book ended. So I had that on the list. So after the climax, you have the falling action or the resolution. And yep. it, it's this should be shorter than the rising action. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Like, and because there's not nothing to look forward to. Um, that's not always the case. Okay. So like uh, Romeo and Juliet, the climax is considered to be in the middle of the story. Um, mm. And mm. so like that's uh, I don't remember Romeo and Juliet, but like there are story arcs, which I think we're going to get into here in a second. I hope your English teacher isn't listening. Not. <laughs> <laughs> but like there, and there are different story structures, which we're going to get into a little bit more. We'll touch on a couple of them. Um, yeah. But like books that we like, at least fantasy novels, like climax. Once you've hit the climax, you don't necessarily want to read all of the resolution. Right. Um, right. Like if, if it's going to be 16 hours going into the climax, climax happens at hour 17. You don't want to listen to 16 hours of how that affected everything else yeah. unless it's part of a series and there's going to be another climax in the next book and you're leading to an ultimate climax True. of this series. Right. So that being said, this is kind of like where everything kind of resolves. Yep. Right. This is where Dumbledore tells you why the things that happened over the course of the year happens. Oh, right? I love that scene. The yeah. King's Cross yes. station. Yeah. That, I mean, J.K. Rowling is phenomenal. I think we've talked about this and how, like, she almost grew. I, well, I don't think she grew. I think her writing style grew with her readers. Yeah. And book seven, the last, like, ten chapters of books or book seven are, they give me chills just thinking about them. Yeah. I think one of the cool things about it is that, like, you get the same effect in the first book. Yeah. Right? Yep. And so in the first book, Dumbledore tells Harry why everything happened this year. You know, and he kind of like gives you that explanation and it like sets him up to be the guy that's going to like give you that. And so like when that happens in the seventh book, even though he's already dead, right? Spoiler alert. But <laughs> even though he's already dead and it, like it happens, it like, oh, you're like, oh, okay. Like I have a rhythm for this. Like this feels familiar. The only book that that doesn't happen is Half-Broke Blood Prince. Yeah. 
which is kind of interesting. I never thought about that, but like, yeah, and it, and you feel a gap there. Yeah, right? you, you really do. Like, I felt like I remember crying when I read Half Blood Prince, right? Yeah. Like the White Tomb. Like that's the final episode or the final chapter of right or one of the final chapters of. And I'm just like, like, what's going to happen? I need book seven, right? Yeah. Like, whereas like I, I all the, the other ones that felt like a complete story there was a falling action yes there really wasn't yeah she almost intentionally left it out of that book and it leaves you with a sense of dread right where yeah. you're like i don't i don't understand that's a really good happen. point yeah that is a really good point i never thought oh that's cool yeah. yeah i can take a break between books one and two i can take a break between books four and five i cannot take a break between books six and seven yeah you're like next go go <laughs> <laughs> yeah we turn it on we've hit like what we consider the climax and there's no resolution uh right. which would in almost any story be a poor decision by a writer but it's right. expertly made because you know that there is one more book in yeah Harry Potter. yeah and, and and that's why it works because i think falling action i think well first of all i think none of the four sections that we've talked about is the most important because i think any of them can be bad enough to ruin a story yeah right bad enough some of them can be like lacking or poor and be kind of covered by good sections in others but just like the exposition if you if you fail to execute in the exposition a reader won't read the rest of the book. If you fail to execute in the falling action, I think a reader will fail to remember the book or, or, or fail to read the next one. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, I, I actually like, well, this was the section I found the hardest to be like, who like did this poorly, right? Like I, I, this was the hardest for me to think through. And I think that's probably because I didn't continue with the series or I didn't read the next book or I didn't remember the book even at all because it didn't give me that feeling of like completeness. Now I'm trying to think of series that we've stopped reading. Oh yeah, where we've like given up on it. And like so, sometimes like, the, the the falling action can be less satisfying um, yeah than, than uh, but it's also it's it must be hard to not make it feel campy i think that's another like it's also similar to the exposition that like i think a writer probably gets an idea for a book and that is fleshed out in the in the in the rising action and in the climax right that's the idea of the book and then you have to include expedition and falling action in a way that like still works yeah absolutely um one of the like to talk about like good examples I think I talked about American Gods earlier. I think that had a really satisfying falling action. And it had a climax that was very predictable. Like you kind of you kind of knew where it was going, but maybe played out in a way that you didn't expect. And then the falling action was really satisfying. I like that one a lot. My girlfriend and I just finished Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. I think that had such a good show. Yeah, first of all, such a good show. But second, I think that had a phenomenal falling action. Yeah. Because it had like a climax that like again you maybe kind of saw coming, but didn't play out in the way you thought it would. But then it kind of takes actually a full episode it dedicates an episode to a falling action which is kind of rare for an anime and it just shows you like here's where all the characters ended up and here's how they're different from where they started right and it was and and even even the two main even ed and al the two main characters how they're they're the same but also like significantly different from where they started and i, I just found it like so like you walk away from that show like ah oh. Right, like that felt that's that's what i needed yep because like we talked about in the climax the climax is where a decision is made that will change the character of the story forever. Yeah. And the resolution is how you deal with that. The one that I thought did it really well was Avatar The Last Airbender. Yeah. So just, again, for you okay. specifically, um, I just want to throw out that um, the same person who did Avatar did The Clone Wars. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you're trying to tempt me with that. <laughs> just in Rebels, by the time. Yeah, okay, okay. But Noted. Dude's a god. Um, anyway, <laughs> like most every single story has those four elements, maybe cutting out one or two of them. Yep. Um, but like, let, let's talk about some of the I when I was doing research I was like astounded that like you know I've consumed all of this media and I just didn't understand that there was a lot of study or like 
organization that goes into this and that people follow the same story structure. It almost like makes me want to start DMing again. Cause like, I feel <laughs> yeah. like after like doing all of this research, I can write a story for Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder or something like that, that I can almost like follow one of the, I can pick a story structure and follow it. Yeah. And I think that would be a really beneficial. So that would be really cool. I'm just going to touch on a couple of these that I really enjoyed. Okay. Um, and so the first one that I really enjoyed was called in media res, which is in Latin for in the midst of, okay. or in the midst of things. And so this is basically like the, there really is no exposition. Like they're cutting that part out. You're dropped into the middle of something like exciting happening. Okay. And so like Star Wars does this right right? with the opening crawl. So like a new hope, it starts out. It's a period of civil war rebel warships or rebel spaceships striking from a hidden base have won their first victory against the evil galactic empire. So like when in 1978, when that came out, like 76, 77, I wasn't born anyways, uh, (laughs) when when that came out, like no one knew what was going on. Right. Like we know now because we, we have the prequels, we have Rogue One, but like no one knows what, and you're just like, you're just dropped into the middle of it. Or like now that the prequels are out, this one's even more exciting. The opening crawl, the Phantom Menace is turmoil has engulfed the Galactic Republic. The taxation of trade routes to Um. outlying superstar systems are in dispute. Nothing says excitement like taxation of trade routes. (laughs) (laughs) just saying but like if there's anything to send two jedi to resolve it's taxation of trade rats <laughs> there are two of them <laughs> like I, I really think that that one's really exciting and like uh i, I think i'm gonna like, like tie this to how i would see this as a dungeon master i think this would be a great thing to jump into like a one shot it's yeah. like like hey like uh you're fighting something yeah you're right fighting like something, yeah. Th- if you have a one shot, which is like a one session campaign, you don't necessarily have time to build up a story. Mm. Like you have to like, and then I also think that this like lends itself to kind of more, it can be more exciting because you have to try and figure out what is going on in mm-hmm. the midst of the story. Yeah. Which I think was kind of cool. Yeah. Gunslinger is doing that. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The dark tower, Stephen King that I'm reading right now, the uh, gunslinger is doing that where, and it's, it's sort of explained through flashbacks, right? That would be kind of one mechanism to, to, to do that where you're like, okay, we're going to drop people in. They're just going to see action. And then like what happened before is going to kind of be explained through flashbacks or memories or something like that. And then, um, so the next one that I thought was really interesting was like the hero's journey, which like, yes, we talked about. Yeah. Very standard. Yeah. So, um, like the, the, the steps of the hero journey are like the call to adventure, supernatural aid. Uh, mm-hmm. there's a threshold challenges, the climax transformation, and then you return to normal life is mm. the classical hero structure. So uh, Tolkien did this in The Hobbit, mm. where like Bilbo's chilling, right? He's just, you know, he's mm-hmm. in the Shire, he's doing his thing, and then all of a sudden Gandalf shows up and screws everything up, right? <laughs> <laughs> Him and like a bunch of dwarves. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they were like, a dinner that, party, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. God, that scene is so funny. <laughs> but anyways, uh, Gandalf is that supernatural force. He is the yeah. call to action, mm-hmm. the, the quote-unquote call to action. Uh, he leaves the Shire. Uh, Bilbo then goes through a bunch of trials. You know, he has to deal with these trolls, which I think is kind of funny because Frodo runs into him in the Fellowship. Yep. Uh, giant spiders, Gollum. Mm-hmm. Then, like, the climax of the story or, like, the, the, the revelation of the story is the Battle of the Five Armies. And then Bilbo collects all of his loot and returns home. Yeah. And that's where, the well, I mean, like, years, years, years later, that's where Fellowship starts. Yeah. And so like that's the hero journey. It's a complete circle. Gotcha. Which I thought was kind of interesting. It is, yeah. I guess. No, Harry Potter doesn't do that. Um like there's 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 not a there's a lot I mean, of it kinda does, right? Like he returns to the like Dursleys every year. Oh yeah, okay. I was you thinking know? of more like the entire series. Oh yeah, not the entire series, but yeah, yeah but the no, books. Yeah, too. absolutely, absolutely, yeah. 
Pendragon does it too, right? Where he like he yep. goes home at the end of the book. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. In in a similar vein, in a similar concept, um, you can think of stories. Remember, we were talking about kind of like that y axis from on on the hierarchy of okay, let's let's take safety as as our as what we're going to consider as the hierarchy, and and people can start in a place where they are unsafe and then grow to safety. That would be like the Martian example, right? Mm-hmm. But you can also have something where people start safe, grow to be unsafe, and then grow to be safe again, right? Yeah. And so it kind of has that like dip in the middle, and that would kind of be like your story arc. So when you're viewing things on that, and we, and we both we in terms of our uh, references, our reading, we're, we're kind of quoting a couple different articles that we that we saw while doing our doing our preparation for this episode. You can find those in the show notes if you want to like read a little bit further. But there, there's a lot of different ways. Like that, what I just described, kind of like safety to unsafety to safety, again, would be like a man in a hole type story arc where someone is normal and then becomes unnormal and has to return to like normalcy. You can have, also think of like a, um, like a rags to riches or a riches to rags type story, right? Where someone is unsafe grows to safety or safety grows to unsafe and the story ends and it's a tragedy right the reverse of the man in the hole would be like an icarus story where someone starts unsafe grows to safety and then at the end dies or something right (laughs) where they kind of like touch the sun and then fall off that's rough buddy (laughs) that's rough man that's a rough take i think what's actually in terms of the ones that we read what would be more common is something like what's what's described as like a cinderella story arc where they're starting from a, a, a low value grow to like somewhere in the middle that's kind of high and then crash again and then there's this large growth through the through the climax right um, so there's a couple different like shapes that a story can tell that's another one that you can kind of like i would love to see a D campaign written from like the man in the whole perspective like write all of your characters as if they're coming from places of nobility or places of wealth or places of cool. success and then crash them all right as yeah. like a dm like crash them in the story and then have them kind of like rebuild themselves it'd be really cool yeah so i i read an article that called those the seven story arch- archetypes i i have in my notes this would be interesting to talk about at some point and then that's all i wrote about it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no i i agree yeah um i saw in the um one of the reasons like that story arc that last one i described would be called like a cinderella story is because almost all disney movies follow that yeah they, right. they have a How formula did, and they stick to it and and it works and it works <laughs> they own espn now it works it works yeah <laughs> yeah but you look at up you look at aladdin right they all kind of like do that any of the new ones yeah but if you're gonna look I'm for storytelling one that doesn't that's gonna yeah thinking in like uh dumbo was that dumbo, dumbo? <laughs> <laughs> i don't know maybe tangled i don't know yeah uh, anyways we're gonna be a disney podcast now yeah a whole new world. A whole new podcast. <laughs> a whole new podcast. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, I promise we won't sing. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last one that I thought was the most interesting, at least um, I think the hero's journey is really interesting, but the one that was new to me and the most interesting and like, it's one of those, like after you read it, you almost have this self-actualization of like, oh, they're doing this to me. Like, this is why I enjoy this book is because yeah. they're following this formula. Uh, it's called the seven point story structure. Okay. And so this is, this was, I, I don't necessarily know if it was created by, but it was elaborated on by Dan Wells. Okay. Um, and basically, the seven points are there's a hook, um, which we talked about. Yep. And there's a plot turn one. There's a pinch point. So, like, plot turn one is, like, what sets the story into motion. The pinch point is where you kind of, like, apply tension okay. to the story. Uh, there's a midpoint where, like, your characters move from, like, a passive to an active role into the story. Okay. And uh, pinch point two comes into effect when you apply more tension after they've become an active force into the story. Okay. Plot point two, <laughs> which is – I'm going to give an example. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> plot point two um, is where the resolution starts to happen or, like, the climax and then the resolution. Okay. And the one that really took off was Sorcerer's Stone for Harry Potter. Mm. And so the hook, Harry lives under the stairs with a shitty family. Right? Yeah. <laughs> there, yeah. There, there's your hook. It's like, yep. and you, you relate to him, right? Especially like, I, I know at least coming from a personal experience, like I related to Harry. I had glasses. I was like overweight. I wasn't like 
the coolest kid in school, right? Right. I related to Harry. The plot turn one, you're a wizard. Yep. You know, Hagrid comes in. The pinch point is Harry TKO is a troll. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And so, like... um, The DM did not expect that. Yeah. He he didn't like the characters. (laughs) He was just trying to get his party to write new characters. He was going for the TPK. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And so, like, this is, like, that, that first tension. So, like... There are real stakes here. Yeah, right? yeah. Th- there is danger in this. Like, there is danger. Yeah, and so like you start to feel that tension. It's like, oh, I can die here, right? right. So that's the tension. And then like the midpoint, which is like where Harry becomes an active role in the story, mm-hmm. is when he like sees Voldemort sucking unicorn's blood. Right. And Harry's like, that's not cool. Like I need to like work with that. And that's when he like he's like, oh, I need mm. to fight evil. Gotcha. Right. And yeah, that yeah, yeah. that's when he becomes an active like fight into right he's no longer an observer he's no longer an observer to the overarching story gotcha and then uh the pinch two is when harry or i'm sorry is when hermione and ron have to drop out of the challenges and harry has to progress alone gotcha Um, he has to kind of make that choice he has to make that choice ron sacrifices himself to win Mm -hmm. chess or something um, yeah and then hermione drinks some potion or whatever but harry has to go on alone Mm -hmm. then um plot turn two which is like so that's applying the tension. He's alone. And at this point in the story, and he's re- you're removing all safety nets, right? right? Harry gathers his strength through his friends. Mm. And at this point in the story, he no longer has that. Yeah. So now through sheer force of will, he has to do it. And he doesn't have the safety net that is Ron and Hermione. And two, you know, when he encounters Quirrell in whoever knows where it is in Hogwarts, it's probably in the room of requirement or something. Um, <laughs> but like, because he is able, like, the, the choice there, that plot point there, is that he is able to get the Sorcerer's Stone because he's not going to use it for selfish needs. Like, that's the only way that you can get the Sorcerer's Stone from the Mirror of Erised, is that you can, um, you he he needs it so that he's not going to use it, but so that it won't be used for ill intent purposes. Yeah. And then the resolution um, in the movie version, Harry straight up, like, kills his teacher, which does not happen in the book. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, that that's kind of the resolution, and then Dumbledore explaining everything. Yeah. Um, oh, and then you know Gryffindor wins. Oh yeah, <laughs> Gryffindor. Yeah. Thanks, Neville. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that that was a very interesting thing, and a lot more stories follow that structure. But it's 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 very formulaic in where and how it applies tension into the story. Yeah. And so that you're never, I don't know if stressed is the right word while reading the story, but like it's almost like you go to a point where it's like you're building up through the rising action, but like stress is implemented into the story in a formulaic sense so that it just works yeah and i think you know so you never like lose interest and lose sight of like what's happening or where are we going yep. yeah yep and so i i thought that one was the most interesting because i'm like oh that's cool like that's cool there, yeah. there there are things like people have thought about this like obviously right but like and then people have modified a lot of these and there's a lot more that will like just kind of reference in the show notes but like yeah you can almost find any story relates to one of these story structures very cool that was kind of cool very cool so do you have anything else for uh, the the narration arc, which I think we'll dive into a little bit more in you know our series analysis going forward? We'll probably you know if oh, Lord absolutely. of the Rings follows a certain narration arc, we'll kind of dive a little bit more into and get into the exactly like how it, how it, yeah notes and bolts like how it worked like why it was a good choice for this one. So that's I think what we just wanted to do with this episode here is just kind of give a preface to that, set some groundwork so that we yeah. can we can reference it later and it'll it'll all make sense. Because <laughs> like in the research, is like I can probably talk for six hours on this. Stuff. There's a ton here, yeah, yeah a ton of content. And so I think yeah I, I I agree. Like we'll we'll dive in more later. Um, but we just kind of yeah give that little and we'll link everything in the show notes. So yep. if you 
want to read into a little bit more of that, you can go on to our website, which is fantasyandsomeflights.com, and all the show notes will be posted there. There's actually, we got a link to submit an icebreaker, so if you want to submit an icebreaker for us, it's all there. And then any social media, we're also available for contact, anything like that. Uh, we got Instagram, which is pretty awesome. I love Instagram. It's pretty much all bo- our board game stuff. There's not a lot of book content because it's hard to take pictures of books. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we got a Twitter. We're at Ansom Flights. And then uh, you can email us at fantasyandsomeflights.com. Yep. So we love talking with you. Uh, do you want to talk about Discord real quick, Dalton? Yeah, absolutely. So we've recently, kind of last episode, we launched a, a Discord. And so we have a group that's been uh, really active there. It's just a place for us to kind of hear more directly from you. It's easier to respond over Discord so you can join up. We'll kind of get your, uh, you know, what's your favorite board game, book, what's your drink kind of thing. Um, and then there's there's forums to just talk about the, the board game episodes, talk about the book episodes, hear your thoughts on specifics like spoilers from different books we have like different channels set up for that and then there's also some voice channels if you need access to a voice channel on discord to play a board game with your friends or whatever you're free to use some of those um, and so the best place to find that is through the website fantasyandsomeflights.com on the top right where you see just like the social media links there's a link for the discord and you can you can find it there super easy to get into super easy to figure out if you've never used it before you just download an app um, and then it's on your phone it's on your computer whatever and you can just you can participate with us and participate with our community and it's a really slick app. And I, what I would say is that not necessarily for Lord of the Rings, necess- or yeah, not for Lord of the Rings necessarily, but we will in future um, when we're doing more series analysis, there are spoiler sections in there. So if you're following along reading books with us, uh, we talk about those books on the Discord with you guys. Absolutely. And, but like, if you log on to Discord, you're not going to see spoilers immediately, right? Right. Like, those yeah, are you have to go to the specific marked. channel. Yeah. Um, but like... But yeah, so if uh, if that's all that you got, that's all I got. That's all that I have. So that's an episode right there. That's an episode. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> now I get to go edit. Woo! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Cheers, buddy. Cheers, buddy.